After my freshman year of college, well, I should say during my freshman year of college, I had a spiritual awakening. It was both a terrible year and a powerful year. Those two things tend to go together. I had a health crisis and an academic crisis. And in the midst of that, the Lord showed up and was powerfully present in my life and did miraculous, kind, great things for me. Well, this was revolutionary for me in the sense that I had the wrong notion. I have no idea where it came from. I'm sure from Satan or from my own flesh or something that God just simply wasn't interested that he wasn't that interested in me. He wasn't that concerned about the daily struggles of my life. He had kind of big picture stuff in mind and that I was in charge of sort of the details. And in my life, the details weren't going very well. I found out during my freshman year of college that nothing could be further from the truth, that God is not just in the big picture, he's in the details as well, and he's not just concerned about world movements, he's concerned about you and he's concerned about me, and I felt that in a very real and tangible way, and I felt him draw close to me, and for the first time, Really, after hearing stories upon stories from church and, and church and other Christians who talked about how relevant and real and close God was, I finally understood a little bit of what people were talking about, and it was life-giving. You know this feeling when you feel like, wow, the lights finally got turned on, and I finally begin to understand. Well, I came home from college that summer back to Grand Rapids. And I was super fired up about Jesus. Like I wanted to talk to him about everyone because I was sure that everybody was having the same experience that I was having, which was they all thought God didn't care. And I couldn't wait to tell everybody, no, he does. He does amazing things. And I also thought, you know what? I got a chance now. I finally felt like I had the courage uh, to tell high school friends uh, about Jesus. And so I came home all fired up. I felt like I was a different person. I felt like college had given me courage because of what God had done. And so I was praying, Lord, give me opportunity to talk to people, to tell them about you, to share with them what you did for me. And I remember pretty early on in the summer, I went to a, a gathering, large group gathering of old classmates of mine, and we had all gotten together and we were kind of talking about how the first year at college went. And, and uh, I remember a particular conversation with a friend in the midst of that big group setting that she and I kind of paired off and just kind of had our own conversation. And she says to me, so how'd your year go? Well, this was my opening. And so I just excitedly started to just share everything. I told all about my health crisis and how God healed me of that. And I talked about my academic crisis and I just, I couldn't stop talking about it. And so she very calmly listened and uh, she listened as I went through all this stuff about how great God had been and how much I had thought he didn't, he was ignoring me before, but he was present now. And I went through all this stuff and I got to the end and she said to me, good for you. She said, I had a terrible year. She said, I tried that whole God thing and he completely ignored me. I prayed, I begged God to come rescue me out of the crisis and she described the crisis to me and it was major. I asked God to come and help me and he didn't do anything. It was like a bucket of cold water. <laughs> had been poured on me. Have you had an experience like that? 
Maybe you've not had a friend do that to you. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've just felt like, hey, you know what? Heaven's closed for business as far as I'm concerned. I've prayed. I've sought the Lord. He just didn't show up. In my friend's case, she described how she waited for God to do something. He didn't do anything, so she took matters into her own hands and seemingly solved her problem herself. And she was essentially saying, you can believe whatever you want, but I know the truth. God doesn't care. And I went home super discouraged (laughs) that evening. And I prayed. I didn't know what to tell her. I mean, what do you say in the face of something like that? I went home and I prayed and I was like, Lord, why didn't you help her? Why didn't you do for her what you did for me? Lord, you missed a great opportunity here. This was your chance to do something powerful. Think of what a strong Christian she would be if you had showed up. The Lord helped me to understand that there was more to the story than I had seen. And what I'd like to do this morning is I want to think together about this question of when heaven feels silent. When God appears to be ignoring us, what do we say? How do we process that situation? Whether it's a friend of yours or a loved one who's poured cold water on your faith, or you yourself are experiencing the sort of heaven covered over, no interaction, no matter how much you do or beg God or what you do, God seems to be ignoring you. How do we think about these kinds of situations? Well, what I'd like you to do is please take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58, if you're using one of the Bibles the church provides, it's page 602. No, it's page 604. Page 604, Isaiah 58 and 59. Now, Isaiah 58 and 59 address a very specific reason why heaven can be silent for you and for me. Let me say before we get into this passage, there are other reasons that Isaiah 58 and 59 do not address as to why heaven can feel silent. Number one, heaven can be silent sometimes because we just don't ask. We may want new friends at school and we just simply haven't bothered to pray about it. We've sort of set out to make new friends ourselves. A second reason why heaven can feel silent to us is because we might be in the midst of suffering And as part of the wilderness, God has not yet revealed to us why we're going through what we're going through. Maybe you've been in a car accident recently and the Lord hasn't yet made clear how all of those pieces fit together. For that reason, heaven can feel silent as well. Number three, sometimes God feels silent because we're looking for the wrong thing. We've asked God to provide us with a spouse. We've begged God. We've prayed earnestly. But what God is wanting to provide us is a deeper relationship with him. And because our focus is over here, we're missing what God's doing over there. That's another reason why it can feel like heaven is silent. Isaiah 58 and 59 does not address any of those issues. So we'll not be talking about them this morning. 
But I don't want you to ignore the fact that those are valid reasons that it can feel like God is distant from us. Let me say, in those cases, God is not actually distant from us, but it feels that way. The case we're going to look at this morning was my friend's case, and it's a case where God is actually ignoring us, and it's the only case where he does so. We want to address that today, so please, we're starting chapter 58, verses 1 to 3 is the statement of the issue. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So Judas' complaint against God was, look, we're going through the religious things we're supposed to do and you are ignoring us. Now, he mentions fasting here. But fasting stands for any of the activities that you and I might do to try to engage with God. You can replace in verse 3 and say, why have we prayed and you have not seen it? Why have we gone regularly to church and you have not seen it? Why have we given of our tithes and offerings to your works and you have not seen it? Why have we been faithfully attending the small group and you have not seen it? Seen it. Judah's complaint is, look, we're doing the stuff we're supposed to be doing, and you're not living up to your side of the bargain. And God says, well, from outward appearance, it does look like you are a people who want to draw near to me. It does look like you are longing to have me as part of your life. But watch God's accusation back to the people of Judah and perhaps to us today. Keep going in verse 3. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? God is saying, the reason why heaven is silent is because of your sins and my sins. 
Now again, you heard me at the beginning of the sermon say, there are other reasons why heaven can appear silent. We may not be asking. We may be in the midst of suffering and God's yet chosen to reveal the purposes of what we're going through. We may be looking for the wrong things. But in each one of those cases, heaven is not actually silent. God is not actually ignoring us. It just feels like he is. In this case, he is ignoring us. What he's saying is, look, you're having sex outside of marriage and you're expecting me to answer your prayers? Look, you're engaged in workaholic behavior and you think I'm going to respond to the fact that you're simply giving money to the church? Look, you've got bitterness and anger in your heart and you forgive to, you refuse to forgive those around you and you think I'm going to respond to your fasting and prayer? The point of Isaiah 58 and 59 is God says, I am ignoring you because of your sins. A friend sent me a quote this week from Richard Rohr, uh, the book, The Road Back to You. He says, sins are fixations that prevent the energy of life, which is God's love, from flowing freely. They are self-erected blockades that cut us off from God and hence from our own authentic potential. God's saying, there's things in your life that are causing me to not pay attention to you. Remember how the book of Isaiah started. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. We use these for our benediction. It's the first big poster over here. The whole book of Isaiah has these verses standing at the beginning. God says, Come now, let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are as crimson, red as crimson, they will be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be destroyed. God says, look, we got an issue. There's sin in your life. Now hear him correctly. He's not here to beat us up. The invitation is, let's get this fixed. Watch how he expands on that verse. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good things of the land. Watch how he expands on it in chapter 58. If you and I do these things, if we acknowledge our sin... If we acknowledge that we break the Sabbath, if we acknowledge that we are not uh, merciful to the poor, if we acknowledge that we engage in judgmentalism, if we acknowledge the bitterness, the sexual immorality, whatever it may be, watch what God will do. Verse 8, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. 
If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then... You will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Did you hear the promises of God in there? God is not angry. He's saying, look, let's get this fixed. You have no idea the overflow of the flood of blessings that are waiting for you. Do you hear him say, your healing will come quickly? Protection, guidance, God's presence with you, joy, fulfilling work. The promise of God is, look, if we can get the stuff taken care of that's in the way, then I am free to pour out the blessings on your life that I long to give you and you long to receive. God's promise is, look, If heaven is silent, it's because of sin. Again, I've said many times, heaven might appear silent for other reasons. But if it is silent, it's because of sin. You say, well, how would we know? Well, this passage has a whole bunch of things. It has about how we take care of the poor, how we treat God's a holy day for a rest and and worship, how we handle our interactions with others, If any of those things resonate with us, God may be saying to us, look, I'm trying to get your attention. I understand this is a hard teaching. But please hear what the Lord is saying. My intentions are not to harm you, they're to bless you. My intentions are to help you. The moment that you and I hear him say, Let's settle the matter. And the moment we decide to do it, he said, your healing is just waiting. My presence is just waiting. The protection that you long for is just waiting. The joy, the fulfillment, the generosity, God says, it's simply waiting for you to come and do business with the Lord. He restates the accusation in chapter 59, verses 1 to 2. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. Now look at this last phrase. 
so that he will not hear. It doesn't say so that he does not hear. He hears. He is consciously choosing to ignore us because of sin. God says, look, you may think that I've failed you, that somehow my arm is too short. It's not. Anything you are longing for God to do, he can do with ease. You may think that God is ignoring you. You may think that he can't hear what what you're asking him. He can hear. If he's not responding, the question we have to ask is, is it because of our sin? There are other reasons. But we're not in any of those passages this morning. And God brought us to this passage to say, maybe it is because of something in our life. I'm reminded of Isaiah 6. When Isaiah sees this beautiful vision of God, massive vision of him filling the whole universe. And Isaiah is overcome with how far he falls short of who God is. And he says, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a sinful people. He's a prophet. He's a man of God. But the vision of God lets him know there is stuff in his life that is separating him from the Lord. And he says, have mercy on me. And God has an angel take a coal from the fire and puts it on his lips and cleanses him of his sins. And then it says, and I heard the Lord saying... Immediate, immediate. Isaiah, that's what he's talking about here. Look at how he says it at the end of chapter 59, verse 20. The Redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. This is just another way of saying what First John says in chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you see in chapter 59 here? This is my covenant. That's why he says faithful and just. He doesn't say if we confess our sins, he is merciful and kind. He is merciful and kind. But when Jesus died on the cross, God made a covenant promised agreement with us, signed with the blood of Jesus, that if we would just confess that he would remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, he would remember them no more. It is a vow that he has made that he cannot break. That's why he says, I will be faithful and just to the terms of the covenant and I will forgive you. And the point of Isaiah 58 and 59 is, God may be ignoring us now, but the reason is because of us and not because of him. 
And the way to solve the issue is to simply come clean and say, Lord, I just haven't been who you wanted me to be. We're so busy blaming him. God, you didn't do this. God, you didn't do that. God, you're supposed to take care of this. And today he's saying to us, consider that you and I might not be as innocent as we think we are. Look, there are other reasons. Please, there are other reasons why heaven might appear silent. I'm not saying this is the only reason. But I am saying it is a major reason. And I am saying it is the only reason why God would consciously ignore us. It may feel like he's ignoring us. But there's only one reason why God would say, I hear what you are asking, but I refuse to listen. And that's because of our sin. But the purpose of these two chapters is not to beat us up. The purpose is, come, let's settle the matter. Let's take care of this. Jesus has already paid for every one of those sins that is blocking God's blessings. Every one of those self-erected blockades, every single way in which we've cut off the flow of God into our life, Jesus has already taken care of it. He's already paid for it. And the point is, well, I've got I've to commit to never sin again. Do you read the verse, if you are willing and obedient? It doesn't say if you are perfect, if you never mess up again. This is why it says if we confess our sins on a daily basis, God tells us to forgive others 70 times seven. How many more times is he gonna forgive us? The point is not, well, I can't come and ask for the blessings of God until I make sure my life is perfect. If you are willing and obedient. If you are willing, not perfect, not sinless, not vowing never to do it again. Just simply willing. God says, then I can stop ignoring you. Then heaven no longer has to be silent. Then I can open the floodgates. This is not a message of judgment. Jesus already took all that wrath on the cross for us. It's an invitation. The thing that is stopping you and I from experiencing the blessings of God has already been paid for. All he's asking us to do is just come and claim it. Receive the forgiveness. You're like, well, what if I do it again tomorrow? Then confess tomorrow. That's how this works. God is slow to get angry. He abounds in loving kindness and mercy. So what are we supposed to do? Number one, I'm going to ask every single person in this room, including me, to ask the Lord, are you talking to me this morning? There are other reasons why heaven may feel silent. This may not be the passage that God has for you. But our natural default is to think that it's not. And this morning, maybe God wants you to realize I know you seem like a person who is eager to know me. I know to outward appearance, it looks like you're doing all the right things. But there's something between us. And second, I want to give all of us an opportunity to come forward and do business with the Lord this morning. So here's what we're going to do. We've arranged for plenty of time. 
we have a number of songs we're going to sing, I think three at least. And during this time, I want to invite you while we're singing to simply come forward, kneel at the altar if you're able. And I want you to confess to the Lord. I don't know what it is. It might be bitterness. It might be sexual immorality. It might be unforgiveness. It might be lack of concern for the poor. It might be not paying your employees what you need to pay them. It may be judgmentalism. It may be lying. There was a whole list of things we read through in 58 and 59. It might be something else. Now you may say, well, everybody's got sin. Everybody should come forward. That's true. If you want to come forward, great. But I think specifically, this opportunity is for those who feel like God is ignoring them. Who feel like heaven is closed because of their sin. God's saying to you and to me, come, let's, let's just get this fixed. Let's just get this taken care of. So while you're here, you can stay as long as you need to. It'll be clear when we're done because I'm just going to get up and pray over us. Just come as the Lord leads. And I want you to do two things while you're down here. Number one, I just want you to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. You don't have to tell me what it is. You don't have to tell anybody else what it is, but you do have to tell him what it is. And trust me, he already knows. (laughs) So you're just going to come and tell him, Lord, I'm sorry. And then the second thing I want you to do while you're here is ask him for that blessing. Your healing will come quickly. You will hear guidance from the Lord. God will be with you. It's supposed to happen the moment you confess your sins. Whatever it is, I don't know what it will be. But God's promise is is that he will be here with you. And so simply ask him to do the thing that you think heaven has been silent about. If you've been looking every other way for a solution, except to the fact that there might be something going on in your heart, once you've confessed that to the Lord, say, okay, Lord, I trust and believe that you've just been waiting for this moment. Please open up heaven and do what it is that I've been longing for you to do. Do what it is. Come and be present in my life in a new, unique, and powerful way. Everybody clear on the instructions? So as the Lord leads, uh, please come forward. Settle the matter with the Lord. And let him do for you what he's promised to do. Father, we are here, Lord, and asking you now to do what you promised to do. Lord, I didn't pick Isaiah 58 and 59. I didn't write those words. This is your promise. Lord, you have sworn an oath uh, by the blood of your son that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, you have promised that if we are willing and obedient, we will eat the good things of the land. Lord, I bring to you my brothers and sisters who in courage and in faith came down and obeyed. They are willing and obedient. Now, Lord, I call upon you to fulfill your promise. Let their healing come quickly. Lord, I pray that your presence in their life may manifest itself. May heaven open wide. May your protection be evident. May your joy fill their lives. Lord, would you transform them from destroyers into repairers? Would you transform them, Lord, into restorers? God, would you make them aware of your grace and your love and your mercy? Would you overflow them? Lord, you said that your grace is greater than all our sins. 
And where sin increased, grace increased all the more. We simply cannot out your grace. And so, Lord, I pray that you would do that for them. Lord, for those who should have come and didn't, have mercy. You are a kind God. You know we're just but dust. And Lord, we either deceive ourselves, we're too embarrassed, we're sure we don't need to, whatever it may be. Lord, take this word, plant it deep in our hearts, and let the seed grow. Remind us that you are always with us, and it doesn't have to be in church when we confess. And Lord, for any who still need to do business with you, move in their hearts and minds to do so. Lord, for all of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. None of us treat the poor the way you do. None of us engage in Sabbath rest the way we should. None of us are free from judgmentalism. Uh, Lord, all of us have engaged in uh, idolatrous behavior. Lord, have mercy. Thank you that in Jesus we are new creations. Thank you that the old is gone, the new is come. Thank you that we can live in your forgiveness. Thank you that tomorrow, uh, after we have sinned again, your forgiveness and your mercies will be new every morning. Lord, who is like you? Rightly, we praise your name and sing that you, God, are a great and awesome God. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.